0: Not only did they have prophets who were in error from without, like the prophets of Baal that Elijah contended with there on top of Mount Carmel, but they also had prophets who came from among them, who got their ideas not from the living God, though they claimed to represent Him, but they got them out of their own well, out of their own thought system, and what they brought up was error.
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Brogi is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study in the book of Romans, and today, as we begin the next-to-last message in this series from chapter 16, Dr. Brogy presents some breaking news. Let's join him as he begins reading from verse 17.
0: Would you take God's word this morning and turn to Romans, the 16th chapter? Romans 16. If you are with us for the first time, slightly over three years ago, we began our study of the book of Romans. And believe it or not, we're now in the last chapter. We're in the epilogue, the 16th chapter. Now, last time we were in Romans a few weeks ago, we studied the first 15 verses where Paul gives a series of greetings and words of encouragement to the church at large. And if you remember, 27 people. named in the course of 16 verses. Next week, when we come to verse 21, he will begin to pick up that greeting once again. But right in the middle, it's as if it flashes across the letter, breaking news. He wants to get our attention. We interrupt this greeting for an emergency announcement. And it has life and death implications. Now, the critics of God's Word say that these two verses we're going to study today were added later because it doesn't fit the flow of thought. Nonsense. The Spirit of God led Paul to put it right here in the middle of a greeting to get our attention so that we would not miss what God wants us to hear today. Romans chapter 16, we want to read verse 17 where we left off last time. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Have you ever been a part of a local assembly where there were serious internal problems? Or have you been aware of some church where there were serious internal problems? Maybe even to the point where the church split in half or maybe into three quarters. Raise your hand if that's true. Wow, nearly every single hand here this morning. I wonder how non-Christians often view God's people When we sing those great hymns, like a mighty army moves the church of God, brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod, we are not divided, all one body, we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. And we sing hymns like that and they laugh at us. They say, sure, one in charity, one in mission, and yet you're split all over the place. So how are we to deal with division that comes into the church? All you have to do is read the recent headlines. I'll read a few. tele indicted on mail fraud. Church split over the ordination of homosexuals. Evangelists and theologians debate on the accuracy of the Bible. And we could go on and on and on. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is something new. No, it's not new. It's as old as the church's birth. But what is new is the rapidity and the intensity in which it is growing. And it's growing just as God prophesied it would grow as we approach the end of the age. If you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he warned them that some division comes from within, from God's people to people who really know the Lord. And so if you remember, he addressed directly Yodia and Syntyche, and he said, they are to live in harmony in the Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine the public reading of that letter and you hear your name being read, you probably would have fallen out of your seat. Yet he addressed those two women to live in harmony in the Lord. So admittedly, as Paul reminds the Corinthians, there is some strife, some division that comes out of the carnal nature of the believer who's not walking in the fullness of the Spirit. However, most of the division that the church faces God warns throughout the New Testament, comes from unbelievers who are in the church, people who are outwardly religious, but inwardly never have met the living God. To quote the Lord Jesus, they are full of dead men's bones. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossus, he warned them of those who would try to persuade you with smooth words. There are people who come into the church people who claim the name of Christ, but they're not true Christians. And we'll see this morning, they're apostates. You know what an apostate is? The word apostate comes from the Greek word apostasia that literally means to fall away. Now, while all unbelievers are not apostates, all apostates are unbelievers. There are a subclass of unbelievers. People who go into the church they look like Christians, they talk like Christians, they profess like Christians, but then they fall away and they renounce the faith. The church has been riddled with such people. So by way of introduction this morning, I want to give us some background to what God says about apostasy and the warning that he gives, and then we'll dig into the finer points of our text. So I'm going to make you work a little bit. I hope you brought a Bible with you. I want you to open it up and And I want you to begin by turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1. Paul warns Timothy that as we approach the end of the age, that apostasy will come. Listen to what he says. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Not fall away from faith, but it's articular here, fall away from the faith. Whenever you see the article accompanying the word faith, it's referring to the body of doctrine delivered by the apostles, what we call biblical truth or apostolic truth. Jude will refer to the faith delivered once for all by God's men. And so the Spirit explicitly says in latter times. Now the Bible uses two important terms that you want to fix in your mind. One is last days and the other is latter times. Last days can mean a lot of different things. The last days began on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up, and the Spirit of God was given, and people who could not speak certain foreign languages miraculously spoke different languages. Some accused them of being drunk with wine, and Peter said, no, they're not drunk, it's only 9 in the morning but this is explicitly what the prophet Joel said would happen in the last days. So we entered the last days since Pentecost, which means that Christ could come at any moment. We speak of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. When you hear a pastor speak of the imminent return of Christ, what he believes is that nothing has to be fulfilled for Christ to return from heaven. Nothing has ever had to be fulfilled for Christ to come and catch up his people. Now there's all kinds of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the second coming to take place. The second coming could have taken place in the first century. In fact, the apostles asked in Acts 1, Lord is this going to happen? And he says it's not for you to know the times and the epics, but this is what you need to focus on. And so God wants to remind us that Christ can come at any moment. However, as you see prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming, it's a reminder that the rapture, the catching up of the church is that much closer. So when the Bible, however, speaks of the latter times, it's talking about the end of the age, what we often refer to as the last of the last days. And he says, in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Instead of standing for the truth that they once held, They will turn away from that truth. Let's read the whole verse. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Have you noticed the great fascination in America in the last few decades with angels? In fact, if you travel the world some, you will discover that it's not unique to America. It's sweeping Europe right now, Asia, India, and Australia these encounters that people are having with angels. Maybe you saw the interview over Christmas with a lady on CNN who had an encounter with an angel. And she said that this angel told her that the pathway that she was on to God was fine. And of course, it was a different pathway from the one that you find in the Bible. And the lady being interviewed alongside of her, called an angelologist, I guess a specialist in angels, affirmed, that the message this woman was receiving was being given around the world to people of all different religious faiths. So, did she have an encounter with an angel? In fact, it may be that you've had an encounter with an angel. In Hebrews 13, the scripture says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Sometimes you can encounter a stranger and you think they're a regular old guy, When in reality, they're one of God's servants. Angels are God's ministering spirits set out to serve those of us who have met Christ who are going to inherit salvation in its fullness someday. Maybe the person who you shook hands with this morning or should have shaken hands with was an angel. You say, well, he didn't look like a holy angel to me. He looked like a fallen angel. Maybe he's saying the same thing about you. I don't know. But sometimes we as Christians can entertain angels without being aware of it. But most of the time when an unbeliever has an encounter with an angel, he's fully aware of it. Why? Because these are fallen angels. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Galatia. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. If someone comes with a different message, even an angel from heaven, don't believe it. And Of course, this is the very premise on which Mormonism and many other cults were founded an angel came and brought a message different from the message of the 66 books found in the Bible. Paul said to the church at Corinth in his second letter, the 11th chapter, He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so he warns us that Satan is a great imitator, which is why in the next verse he says, therefore it is not surprising if his servants, his pastors, his ministers also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. The devil doesn't come as a scaly monster with a pitchfork and horns on his head. He comes as an angel of light in which to present his false doctrine. And he's been hard at work all the way since the Garden of Eden. He is a liar, he is the father of lies, and so he has his false Christians, he has his false gospel, he has his false righteousness, and someday he will have his false Christ who will seek to rule the world. So Paul says here in his letter to Timothy that there are doctrines of demons that will become more and more prevalent in latter times. Turn over to 2 Timothy. All the books in the Bible, that begin with the letter T, are found together. They go from long to short. Thessalonians is longer than the word Timothy, and Timothy is longer than the word Titus. 2 Timothy 3, notice what he says in the opening verse, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And may I say that those days have arrived in full fury. How do I know? For It's causal in Greek. You could translate it because men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. They're religious although they have denied its power. And so we are warned, avoid such men as these. But look at verse 13. Drop down to verse 13. Notice what he says. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so while we've been in the last days since Pentecost, the last days will go from bad to worse. It will be like Jesus said, a woman in labor where the labor pains increase in both intensity and frequency. And please note that they are described in verse 13 as evil men. God calls a false teacher, not a good man, though that's the way they often appear, but an evil man. Why? Because of the damnable doctrines that they preach. You, however, Timothy, verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures his mom and grandmother gave him, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness why so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work you don't need some other message Timothy the scriptures are sufficient they are everything that we need for that which pertains to godliness By the way, this proliferation of false teaching that Paul said would increase in latter times is precisely what the Lord said in the Olivet Discourse. He said in Matthew 24 and verse 10, and at that time, many will fall away. There'll be false Christs, false prophets, and people who claim they are Christians will apostatize. They will fall away from the faith. Now turn over a few more pages to 2 Peter chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, just find Revelation and you can scan back a couple pages and you'll find Peter's two letters, 1st and 2nd Peter. Look at 2nd Peter chapter 2 and notice, if you will, the opening verse, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people. Now stop right there. Who is he referring to in the context? He's looking back at ancient Israel and he's reminding them that they had false prophets who arose among the people. Not only did they have prophets who were in error from without, like the prophets of Baal that Elijah contended with there on top of Mount Carmel, but they also had prophets who came from among them who got their ideas not from the living God, though they claimed to represent him, but they got them out of their own well, out of their own thought system, and what they brought up was error. The prophet Jeremiah contrasted false prophets with true prophets, when he said in the 23rd chapter, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. And if you remember those prophets that Jeremiah speaks of, they said, you're not going to be away in Babylon for 70 years. God is going to bless you. He's going to bring you back. And they had this positive message that the people loved. And Jeremiah called them liars. The prophet who has a dream, may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord. And so here in 2 Peter, he says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false prophets among you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, just as there were many false prophets who came from within the congregation of Israel to draw God's people away, even so in the church age, we can expect to see the same thing. Listen, when you look for the evil one, when you look for Satan, never fail to look in the church. Because very often, the devil will appear even in the pulpit. He will have his ministers who will present themselves as ministers of truth, just as the devil has his angels who present themselves as ministers of light. And so, unfortunately, in the day that we live in, under the banner of unity, they will say, well, remember what Jesus prayed in John 17? The churches just need to come together and we need to be one. Because they'll know that Jesus is Lord by our oneness, and they'll know that Jesus is the Messiah by our love for one another. And unfortunately, they misinterpret what Jesus said in John 17. Jesus does not call all the churches to come together. He calls the body of Christ to come together. He calls those who are truly born again, whatever stripe they may be, to come together as brothers in Christ. But there are many who profess to know Christ who do not know him at all, and God doesn't call us to come together. In fact, we're going to see God will tell us this morning to separate from those who teach a different message. And so sometimes, unfortunately, people are united on the basis of error when God wants us to be united on the basis of truth. And so he says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. See that word false is the Greek word pseudo. It just means a lie. There are pseudo prophets, lying prophets. There are pseudo apostles. Lying apostles, they claim to be representatives of the living God, but they were not. There are pseudo-teachers, they claim to speak on behalf of the living God, but they do not. uh, Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18.20. Remember, Israel was formated, uh, uh, brought together as as a theocracy. And Unfortunately, in the history of the church, there have been people who have tried to mimic the theocracy of Israel. That's what John Calvin did in Geneva. He said, well, the church is the new Israel. We've replaced Israel, and we need to be a theocracy like Israel was. And so he took this text and applied it when he burned a man at the stake for heresy. But this was something that was unique to Israel, and they didn't burn the false prophet. They stoned him. But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That thin the ranks of false prophets. That made a man think twice whether or not he was going to speak on behalf of the living God. Why was God so seemingly harsh? Because their doctrines were damnable. Their doctrines led people into an eternity away from the living God. And God's heart is not that people would perish, but that they be saved. So Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. You say, are such people saved? No, they were never saved. He says further, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These people are not only leading people to hell, they're headed for hell. Now Christ purchased a means of salvation that they could have embraced. The atonement of Christ was for all people of every religious faith, but that does not mean that all will universally be saved. Only those who believe in the Lord Jesus for their salvation in no other name under heaven. And so God made a way of salvation even for these false teachers who denied the Messiah who bought them. Because God loves even the false teacher. He loves them so much that Jesus died for them and wanted them to be saved. But by their own choice, they denied the master who bought them. And so if you know 2 Peter 2, God does not compare them to sheep. He compares them to dogs and to pigs. Jude says they are devoid of the Spirit. They're physically alive, but they are without the Spirit. They are spiritually dead. Now, maybe they'll deny his deity, maybe they'll deny his blood atonement, maybe they'll deny his morality as seen in the Ten Commandments, but they, in essence, deny the master who bought them. And notice they secretly introduce destructive heresies. Those two words, secretly introduced, is one word. In the original, it was a word in the New Testament where, uh, in the New Testament era, where someone would introduce a thought that looked real and true, like other thoughts looked real and true. Jude will put it in these terms. Listen to this. When Jude writes in Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, he wanted to write maybe another Romans. But the Spirit of God redirected his heart. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Again, it's articular. Not just for faith, but the faith. The body of truth, which was once for all handed down to the saints. I want you to contend earnestly for that body of truth we call the Bible. And why? The reason is found in verse 4. Because or for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord, of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They have crept in unnoticed. One word in the original. It was used in the first century of a lawyer who would introduce a thought to say, what today we would call a jury or a judge, and then he would come back and he would key off of that thought. He would introduce a thought as a sinister lawyer, and he would key off of that sinister word. And so he is describing here people who come into the fellowship, they say they're born again, they say they're orthodox, they look Christian, they walk Christian, they talk Christian, but they're really not Christian. That's why they're unnoticed. And that's why God wants us to be alert. No one ever suspected Judas as a fake. They made him the treasurer. You don't make a fake, a dishonest person, a deceitful person, a hypocritical person the treasurer. No, Judas looked like a real apostle, but he was really a false Christian. He was a pseudo-Christian. Now, with that background, with those warnings that God is giving to his apostles, I want us to go to our text this morning. Because God is speaking in our passage about those who have fallen away of apostates. And He's warning the church at Rome, and listen, if it could happen to the church at Rome, it could happen to this church. It could happen to community Bible church. We live in a day that is filled with controversy. Pastors and congregations are debating whether or not women should be pastors. There is no debate. Look, your argument is not with me, save your letters. God's Word is clear. There are certain things that men should do, certain things that women should do. We are equal, but we have different roles. They're debating the roles of husbands and wives. They're debating the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're debating the infallibility of Scripture. They're debating euthanasia towards old people. They're debating the the justification for abortion. I spoke with one of our state senators two weeks ago and asked him why it was that he would not defend life 20 weeks and above. Why it was. He's a pastor, the state senator. A pastor in Charleston. Why will you not protect life 20 weeks and above? Because that's the bill that's coming on the South Carolina floor. He said, well, what if a woman is raped? I said, Look, if that's your justification, which makes less than 1% of all abortions, a woman would know it before 20 weeks. I said, you claim to be a pastor and you will not protect life? What is there to debate about? We're debating all kinds of moral issues that God has spoken clearly on. And so, one of the reasons for division sometimes comes from the carnality of God's people, but more often than not, as we will see this morning, it comes from false teaching. False teachers who come into the church who introduce error that divides the people of God.
1: The Bible reminds those who think they stand to take heed lest they fall. And the same warning can apply to the church. Unless we contend for the faith, as Jude warns in his letter, the Christian church is at risk of succumbing to the ways of the world. To listen again to today's study from Romans 16 entitled Breaking News, use the Search the Scriptures app with Dr. Carl Brogy, available for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM73. And when you do contact us, won't you consider supporting the ministry of Search the Scriptures? You can do so either by calling or by giving online at searchthescriptures.org or by using the Search the Scriptures app. Your generous contribution plays a vital role in providing biblical teaching and in helping to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our look at breaking news and search the scriptures.